Wow, thank you so much, Anna and Chihua, for that beautiful duet. Wasn't that fantastic? Beautiful. Uh, the, the, the mom who's playing the piano, Chihua, and her parents are here as well. They're they friends of uh, my parents in Malaysia, and so we've kind of known this family for a long time. And of course, Chris and Chihua, over the last several years that we've been here, they've been here at New Life for a, a while. And so it's just such a joy to see... Um, you know, families in music and in a way that glorifies Jesus. So that's a wonderful picture for all of us to see. Uh, speaking of families, I drew attention to this last week. Just wanted you to see this again. Uh, Cameron Wilson, one of the young ladies in uh, the Wilson family, who's here tonight, she painted this beautiful painting here of Mary. And so later when you come up and you're taking communion, you can, you can see this. And, you know, the purple is one of the colors of Advent. And then, of course, the, you know, a, a pregnant Mary what other picture of expectation and anticipation. So that is what Advent's all about. You know, as Matthew was talking earlier during worship, uh, talking about his Presbyterian roots, I grew up in an Anglican church, but to be honest, I didn't really know uh, too much about the church calendar, about the seasons or how this works or what the point is or any of that, really. Um, but I, I, I've discovered, and I shared this with you a few weeks ago, I've discovered one very critical difference between my calendar and the church calendar uh, and that is that only one of those calendars is truly centered on the life of Christ. Hint, it's not mine. <laughs> my calendar, I don't know how yours is, but my calendar sort of goes with you. You fall, the, school, the kids are back in school, and then we got Thanksgiving break, and then we got Christmas break, and then, oh yes, yeah, soccer starts up in March, and you know, camps in the summer, and conferences, and when am I traveling? You know, that's sort of how we orient. And, and, you know, it's a little bit unavoidable. We've got these things. It's not that any of those things are evil or wrong or bad, but do you ever feel sometimes like you're kind of just spinning out of control? And part of the reason the church said, hey, let's design time, calendar, let's mark our calendar by the events of Christ's life so that when we remember it, it's a way of us joining into the story. I think it sounds like a wonderful idea, don't you? It's a way for us also, I think, you know, one of the other things that I'm learning about this is um, for us, when we kind of engage in Advent, technically Christmas doesn't begin until midnight on Saturday. So there's this waiting and this waiting, and then finally at midnight you're like, Merry Christmas! It's kind of like Happy New Year, you know, you wait till midnight. You can't, you, nobody says Happy New Year on December 22nd, I mean, you can't do that. So, so there's sort of this waiting and then you can't, and the reason, and I'm not very good at it, I'm, and, and if you say Merry Christmas to me, I'll say it back because I just love all of it, you know. Um, but, but part of this whole thing is to say, actually Christmas goes on from the 25th for 12 more days. And I have this theory that the reason why our culture doesn't let it go on is because there's no more shopping to do. I mean, seriously, you don't give gifts on the 12th day of Christmas, although it should be something, right? 12, what is it, ladies dancing? That'd be a funny gift, but uh, something. But, but, but because all our shopping sort of done on this first day, Christmas day, it's like, ah, the stores, everybody kind of forgets. And on the 26th or 27th, it's like this whole thing never happened. But may it not be for you and I. May it be that actually this longing and this waiting and this anticipating leads us to the place where we're like, no, no, look, He has come. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Now, it's such a beautiful phrase, just that phrase in itself, the Lord is come, because it captures in a very real way that Christ's coming has a, a few different time dimensions to it. When we celebrate Advent, we, we kind of tap into past, present, and future. What I mean is this. When we say, in, in one sense, we say, okay, look, 
as we kind of celebrate Advent, we light these candles, we're singing these beautiful carols, and we're doing all, you know, we're saying, hey, remember? Remember that He came. And so we're looking backwards. And this looking back, this past element of Advent is very much a reenacting. We're, we're, we're retelling the story. We're joining it. We're reenacting it. We do that every time uh, with the cross. We do that every time we take the bread and the cup. But there's also the, the, the arrival of Jesus or the coming of Jesus is also a present reality, isn't it? Now, all of us believe that when Jesus ascended into heaven, he's, what did He say to His disciples? He said, look, I'm not leaving you as orphans. You're not alone. I'm sending who? The Holy Spirit. I'm with you. The Emmanuel, God with us thing, it continues. It is present. So in a very real way, when we celebrate Advent, it's not just a looking back and say, hey, remember that? Pretty cool, wasn't it? Cute baby Jesus, manger, awesome, love it, goosebumps. It's also a present reality where we're saying, you know what? Jesus is coming to you even now through the Holy Spirit. That by the Spirit, Jesus is stepping into your world, your situations, your home, your families, your workplace, your life, your story. He's here, still Emmanuel. And then, this is maybe the most exciting piece of this, there's a future dimension to Advent, isn't it? Isn't there? What's the future dimension of it? We say it every time we take communion. What do we say? We said Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. And so this Advent thing has this future dimension to it where we're saying, you know what? We know that one day Christ will come again. A year or so ago, I was talking with our, our two girls. We have a, a son too, but he's a bit young to talk about these things with. And, and our girls are, at the time, they were probably, I don't know, five and a half and, and four, so they might have been two years. But we're talking about all this stuff one night. It comes up as they're going to bed. And one of them says to me, Dad, why does Jesus have to come back again? Like, did, he not, did it not work the first time? <laughs> Such a wonderful question. I was like, well, um, no, it's not quite like that. And actually, a few Sundays ago, we were talking about it again. She was, uh, something had bothered her, and she was crying, and she was asking about, about if in the new world, when, when God comes and makes everything new, would there still be guns and violence? And I was telling her about the beautiful prophecy in Isaiah 2 that says, no, and all of that ends when Jesus returns. And so again, this question that she'd asked me a year ago, she says again, she says, now, Dad, tell me, why is it that Jesus has to come a second time, did it not work the first time? And I'm, you know, in one of those wonderful dad moments thinking, what do I say, you know? Because um, I can't explain to her a inaugurated eschatology. That would, that's not quite the word to use. So I'm scrolling through my head. I'm like, Sophie, have you read George Eldon Ladd or N.T. Wright? So that, that wouldn't work either. So I'm thinking, through, how do I say this? And I said, okay, okay. So if you what, think about it, and Nora was there too. You know, both of them are talking and they're both kind of, you know, yeah, Dad, what's the deal? And uh, I was like, couldn't we just read like Winnie the Pooh and go to bed? I mean, we're... and uh, I said to him, I said, you know, it's a little bit like Christmas presents. So, you know, like Mom and I, we've, we've bought you your Christmas presents already. Like, yeah. Like, so we've already got you your gift. But you can't have it yet. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We don't even want to know where it is. They're good kids. <laughs> like, we, we don't even want to, we, We've got to wait until Christmas. So I'm like, that's, that's right. And I said, you know, it's like when you buy someone, so you may get it early, you may get it ready, and you have prepared it, and you've paid for it, and all this stuff, but it doesn't come to you until Christmas Day. There's a special day that we're waiting for, right? Yeah, 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 that's right, Dad. 
Well, that's exactly like, that's a little bit like what this is like. Because Jesus on the cross, when He dies and when He rises again, He's set something in motion. Something new has already begun. We like to talk about it as something that's already been paid for. Yes, yes, yes. And yet, we're waiting for this Christmas day. In a very real way, the whole cosmos is waiting for its Christmas day. The day when the thing that Jesus in His first advent accomplished with His life and death and resurrection will then bring to pass bursting into life on this beautiful day where every tear is wiped away and the saints are given new bodies and earth and heaven are made new. That turned into a really nice conversation that evening with my girls. Talking about the day that Jesus will make everything new. So, as we are here in Advent, there's past, there's present, there's future, a coming of Jesus. But sometimes the question for us is very similar to the question uh, that really was around in Jesus' day. The big question for many of the Jews in the first century was, how will we know that it's God? How will I know that God has finally acted? How will we know when these long-awaited hopes, these deeply cherished promises and prophecies and this thing of a, a Messiah coming and God becoming king, when is that actually going to happen? How will we know? In a very real way, those questions were, could, be, could be kind of split out in two or three different things. You could say, when will God act? When will God really finally set this right and become king? That's what they wanted to know. What will it look like? How will I know it's really Him? And as you think about those questions, they're not unlike sometimes the questions that we have, isn't it? Questions that we have when we say, well, hey, is God really at work in the world? Could it be? How can you say His name is Emmanuel? How can the angels sing peace on earth? How can it really be that Jesus is king? Sure doesn't look like it, does it? And sometimes we find ourselves saying, okay, wait a minute, if He came, then did He run away? If He came and if His cross and if His resurrection was the thing that started His kingdom. And sometimes we, we want to ask the question my daughters ask, well, d- did it not work? How come there's still stuff that's messed up? How come bodies break down? How come the world itself is still in strife? How come nation rises up against it? How come... Is God really here, we want to ask? Is He really Emmanuel? Is Jesus' coming just something nostalgic we look back to in the past? Something hopeful we look forward to in the future, but something that doesn't mean anything for us in the present? Chances are, when I talked about Advent being past, present, and future, we have no trouble with the past or the future. Those are The future, what a glorious hope. The past, what a sweet night. The present is what's the most difficult, isn't it? Is Jesus Emmanuel in the now? In the here? Is He God with us now? In this messed up world, in in a world that's broken, in relationships that are hurt, is Jesus Emmanuel here? And we want to say, if He is, how do I know? How can I really see Him? Our text tonight is the last chapter of Luke, and, and 
Uh, Matthew referenced a lectionary. We kind of have a, a living lectionary in terms of how we pick the text on Sunday nights. Basically, we follow whatever series Pastor Brady's doing on Sunday morning. So it's, it's a living lectionary. And we, we've been in this Luke series for uh, about a year now, a little over a year. We've taken a, a little time off this summer. But here we are finally wrapping up Luke with this. This is the last installment of the Luke series. See, I told you this was about expectation and longing. You're like, whew. Luke 24, verse 1. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, the women went to the tomb bringing fragrant spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. They didn't know what to make of this. Suddenly, two men were standing beside them in gleaming bright clothing. The women were frightened and bowed their faces toward the ground. But the men said to them this beautiful question, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He isn't here but has been raised. Remember what he told you while he was still in Galilee? That the human one, or in some of your translations, the Son of Man, must be handed over to sinners, be crucified, and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words. You may want to, again, I I encourage writing in your Bible, especially if it has to do with the text rather than just uh, doodling, but circle the word remember. In verse 6, when the angel says, remember what he told you. And then in verse 8, then they remembered his words. Circle that word again, remembered. It's, there's something stunning that has happened, something blinding, something dramatic. And that that's what jogs their memory. When they returned from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women who, with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words struck the apostles as nonsense. (laughs) And they didn't believe the women. I'm so sorry on behalf of a man to every woman in this room. Sorry that we always tend to view your words as nonsense. (laughs) I say it it tongue in cheek. But the Bible is redeeming some sort of dignity here for a woman and saying, look, they were right. (laughs) But Peter ran to the tomb. And when he bent over to look inside, he saw only the linen cloth. And then he returned home, wondering what had happened. Listen to the women, Peter. Wondering what had happened. Here is this most marvelous event. This is Jesus' resurrection. The thing that changed time, changed history, changed the course of the world itself, brought one age to a close and started a new one. This is epic, which as a side note, lots of us talk about being world changers and doing some making history. I just want you to take a deep breath and recognize for a moment, there's only one person who made history. It's Jesus. There's only one person who literally changed the course of the world. It's Jesus. And your job as a Christ follower is not to go change the world. It's to announce that the world has already been changed. That's quite a bit different than saying, oh my gosh, i got to go, go change the world. Gotta... You don't got to change the world. Christ the King has started something different. New creation has begun. Time itself has changed. A new day has dawned. God has brought His future breaking into the now. What do we do? We announce it. In a, in a real way, all of you are kind of in on a secret that nobody else knows. The world has changed. Jesus is the King of it. Now, when we think about this, 
story tonight, probably a lot of us would say, well, yeah, sure, if I saw two dazzling angels in white, I would have no trouble believing either. I mean, why doesn't God do that? That would be really nice. And, and when we are try, as we're trying to answer this question of how is it that Jesus is present among us? How is Jesus God with us? This first part of Luke 24 tells us that sometimes God's presence with us is stunning. Sometimes it truly is stunning. Confession. As I've kind of seen more and more uh, disappointment or things in life that sort of don't go the way you think and don't go the way I've thought, it, it gets more and more difficult to believe that God can still be stunning. Do you ever find that to be true? That like the longer you follow Jesus, sometimes instead of having more readiness for the stunning, we have more dullness toward it. Do you ever, do you ever feel that? Sort of like, yeah, you know, I, I, um, yeah, I believe in God. I mean, yeah, I mean, I go to church. Like, it's great, but is there room for the stunning? Well, I mean, God, He doesn't really do that. And uh, just, it, I mean, we'll, we'll pray, but I don't know if that'll really work. And, and something happens to us the longer we kind of walk that we forget the person we're saying is with us right now is. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The God who spoke and made the cosmos. That when we come and we sing these songs and pray these prayers, we're not just sort of going through a thing and yeah, I'll say that, but that's sort of key. Listen, there's something massive going on. That God Himself is here. Act like actually here. That when we pray and when we sing, the Spirit of God is actually present among us. Do you believe that? How easy is it for us to kind of say, oh, well, you know, yeah, the sort of church is kind of like clocking in, you know, like, yeah, I went today. Check. Sticker, please, you know. Instead of saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, you know what? We're gathering with the people of God. We're singing songs that are from words that are in Scripture that were thousands of years old. We're praying prayers that Believers have prayed for centuries. We're take, taking the bread and the cup. Oh my gosh, the disciples did this with Jesus himself. I mean, there should be sort of like danger warning alert alarms going off. You know, like beep, 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 beep. God's here. Oh yeah, oh, oh yeah. No, I'm just going to church. Sometimes God's presence with us is stunning. And I've got to remember to kind of make room for that, to kind of make room for something awesome to happen, something miraculous to happen, something extraordinary to happen. Uh, the school that I went to, they painted those words on the basketball court, expect a miracle. not sure that it applies to sports per se, <laughs> but there is something about forgetting that we belong to this God. We're part of this story. Something stunning happens. If we continue reading in Luke 24, verse 13, on the same day, two disciples were traveling to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking to each other about everything that had happened. And while they were discussing these things, Jesus himself arrived and joined them on the journey, and they were prevented from recognizing him. Wow. Wow. And he said to them, what are you talking about as you walk along? 
They stopped, their faces downcast, and the one named Cleopas replied, are, are, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who's unaware of the things that have taken place there over the last few days? You know, I'd be like someone waking up one morning and say, who's this Tebow guy? It's like, what is, is he like an athlete or something? Like, what? What is wrong? Where have you been? What things? And they said to him, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, because of his powerful deeds and words, he was recognized by God and all the people as a prophet. But our chief priests, hear the sense of grief in their voice, but our chief priests and our leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. We hoped he was the one who would redeem Israel. Hear the disappointment in their voice. We hoped. We thought. Maybe. Maybe this was it. All these things happened three days ago, but there's more. Some women from our group have left us stunned. See, I told you, sometimes God's presence is stunning. They went to the tomb early this morning and they didn't find His body and they came to us saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who told them that He is alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found things just as the women said. They didn't see Him. And then Jesus said to them, You foolish people. Your dull minds keep you from believing all that the prophets talked about. Wasn't it necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and then enter into His glory? And then He interpreted for them all the things written about Himself in all the Scriptures, starting with Moses and going through all the prophets. I'd like to sign up for that class, please. (laughs) Jesus interprets the Scripture as Himself as the fulfillment. 101. Thank you. When they came to Emmaus, he acted as if he was going on ahead, but they urged him, stay with us. It's nearly evening and the day is almost over, and so he went in to stay with them. And after he took his seat at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. What? And they said to each other, weren't our hearts on fire? When he spoke to us along the road, and when he explained the scripture for us, they got up right then and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and their companions gathered together, and they were saying to each other, The Lord really has risen. He appeared to Simon. And then the two disciples described what happened along the road and how Jesus was made known to them as he broke the bread. See, I think it's true that sometimes God's presence with us is stunning. And we do need to kind of make room for that to say, you know what, this is, we're not just kind of doing this cute little thing here. This is the living God. And yet, sometimes God's presence with us is hidden. Or at least it feels that way. Maybe it actually is that way, that it's hidden. Maybe it's hidden, like in this story says, because Jesus did not let them recognize him. That's a curious thing to say about Jesus, isn't it? Like if you had, if you were the Messiah, I mean, I've got to be careful how we say this, but let's say you could write this script. There we go. Would you script it to be okay? So you'll rise, and then these disciples are going to be sad, and then you'll kind of appear, you know? It's real dramatic, like we'll cue the music. I mean, there's better ways to write this script. Why prevent them from recognizing it? Jesus like, that's, whoa, man. Prevent them from recognizing it. I wonder, does God do that? 
Maybe sometimes it's because our own disappointment. Sometimes our own hurt. Sometimes there are moments in life where grief fogs our vision. And Jesus is walking along that road with you in your grief, in your disappointment, in your confusion, and yet, to you, I don't don't know, I don't think He's there. can't be real. Is He? Sometimes God's presence with us is hidden. In fact, by sheer ratio, the ratio of how many times was God stunning to His people and how many times were things ordinary and common, the ratios are remarkable. If you were to plot, if you were to plot a kind of a timeline of the miraculous, you would have a lot of years from creation before you get to Moses. And then around Moses, you have these amazing miracles. And then you kind of got to wait like, you know, 600 years or so before you get to Elijah. And there's all these miracles. And then you've got to wait a long time from Elijah till you get to Jesus. So, well, Glenn, but that's Old Testament, man. If we're New Testament believers, miracles every day, right? I mean, it's just got to be bam, bam, bam. It's just dazzling, stunning all the time, right? Why, isn't that what the book of Acts was? Funny thing about the book of Acts, it takes place in at least three different cities. Technically, there's four or five different cities mentioned in the book. It unfolds over like 30 years. You want to plot those miracles by cities by decades? Whoops. Now you're down to like something stunning every several years. Like, oh, but Glenn, but following Jesus, it's like, I mean, it's, it's not what it means to have, us with, have him with us. Sometimes he's stunning, sometimes he's hidden. One of the great sadness to me is the lie that we've told our people, especially our young people, that prayer will always be exciting, that worship will always be rewarding, that church will always be dramatic. When the truth is following Jesus, a lot of days is like walking on the road to Emmaus, and He's there, and He's interpreting the Scripture to you even. And it's not until after it's all over that you say, Wait a minute. How come they didn't see it in that moment? I don't know. But sometimes it's like that. A couple years ago, there were, um, maybe it's more than a couple years ago, actually, there were these diaries that were found um, of Mother Teresa's. And uh, several, you, you can, you know, it's been published, I think it's called Be My, Come Be My Light, I think is what it's called, and Lots of excerpts from her diaries. And, and there was a bit of an uproar when, these, when the book was published because people were a little bit upset because over and over again in her diaries she would write things like, I have lost the warmth of Christ's presence. In fact, very shortly after she said yes to, to going to Calcutta, which was later in life for her, very shortly after that it began to feel colder. She said, I just, I, I've, I've prayed, Jesus, I want to feel the sense of you again like I once did. And time after time after time, it almost makes it seem like the, the, the bulk of her time actually in Calcutta, becoming this great, great person that we know her as, was spent without feeling the warmth of Christ's presence. So the controversy was some people said, look, if you publish this, they're going to say she was no saint. She couldn't feel 
the stunning presence of Christ. How could you call this? This is going to hurt her case for sainthood. Not that she would have wanted one, but... And another group said, you know what, actually, this is going to help it. Because if a person can serve Christ without a stunning, dazzling sense of His presence, how much more faithful was she? What I want to say to us tonight is the loss of the stunning is not a reason to lose your faith in Christ. The loss of the dazzling is not a reason to say He's not here. It's not a reason to leave a church or leave a friendship or, or, or leave Christ or to say, oh, this is it. It's not a reason to throw it away because actually you're in good company. The moment you begin walking with Jesus and all of a sudden it doesn't feel very dazzling. Wait, 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 where were those white dazzling men? That just happened. How come it's let's, more of that, Jesus? What else you got? There's actually not much more than that. But let's eat together. Let's talk about the Scriptures together. Jesus, that's kind of common. That's kind of ordinary. Could we be the people that really believe that Emmanuel, God with us, is still with us in the ordinary, in the hidden, in the meals, in the conversations along the road, in the midst of our disappointment, in the middle of sadness and grief, in the midst of all of this, to know that He's still there. I don't know exactly how this works and why God has this interplay of the stunning and the miraculous and then the hidden and the ordinary. I, I don't know how it all works. But if I were to guess a, little, a picture of what it's like, it's maybe a little bit like a marriage. So marriage, leading up to this marriage, there's this intense sort of emotion and, and it's you just love one another and it's kind of this woohoo and then a few years in it's still sort of there and then maybe several years later the, the emotion has is not quite the same sort of thing but there's something else that takes its place or should take its place and that's kind of a deeper sense of love a less fireworks and writing in the sky kind of love and more of a Yes, I'll get up in the middle of the night and change the baby's diaper so you won't have to kind of love. C.S. Lewis talked about this in The Four Loves and he compared it a little bit to the engine of a car. A good car only makes its loudest noise when you're starting the engine. Some of you are like, man, you mean it's not supposed to be this noisy when I'm driving it? <laughs> I don't know, but I, think, I don't think so. When you start the engine, the spark plugs go, and it gets going. And then when you're driving well, it just settles in, and that's what carries it. I don't know, but I wonder if that's what this is like for us, that the stunning moments ignite our faith, and we, we make room for those moments because God does that. And yet, when He leads us in these places where He's hidden, I think what He's doing is He's saying, will you let your faith mature? Will you let it settle down into a deeper, more faithful kind of love? One that's not chasing the extravagant. One that's ready and open to it. And yet, one that settles into seeing Jesus in the hidden. Ordinary. Walking on the road. Eating a meal. Kind of moments. Sometimes God's presence is stunning. Sometimes God's presence is hidden. But I, I think what we see in this is that at all times, God is with us. At all times. Always. 
always, this whole Advent thing, the present tense of Advent, that Christ is come. The Lord is come. Joy to the world. He's here, coming in the midst of our stories. I wonder, even as we're getting ready for this week, we've had a lot of different parties at our house, and there'll continue to be meals shared, and probably that's what it's been like for you. Um, But I wonder if even in the midst of something just so normal as food and drink can become something so spiritual and sacred. The power of meals together becomes powerful because you recognize that Christ is the Lord of this feast. Christ is the presider over this feast. There's a whole lot that has been written and studied about how meals kind of worked in the first century. And Luke does, shows this kind of repeatedly, but meals in the first century, it was a, way of, it was a little bit of a way of showing status. So when you, because patronage was a big deal, you have people who don't have a lot of stuff, and so when someone has you over to their house and you're eating at their table, it's kind of like being in their downline in a multi-level marketing thing, you know, it's like they're, they're above you, they, you know, you're, you're, they are now your patrons, or there's a little bit of a patronage thing kind of going on. But what's remarkable is you see Jesus invited to these meals, sometimes by Pharisees, sometimes by people who want to show that they're important. And Jesus kind of takes over the meal. He takes over the dinner party. And it becomes very clear that he's really the Lord of the meal. This happens again with this, these men in the road to Emmaus. He kind of acts like he's going on. And they say, oh, hey, poor clueless stranger. Want to come to our house? And then they're eating. And all of a sudden, he takes the bread and blesses it. Whoa, whoa. That's kind of the host's job. Guys, I got this one. You know, I mean, just the Jesus who they thought was the clueless guest becomes the Lord and the host. My encouragement to you as you go into a week of maybe two weeks of meals and fellowship and all the stuff with family and in-laws and all the stuff to say, Jesus, you're here even now. Preside over this, would you? Bless this bread. Bless this cup. Open our eyes to see it, to know it. As we get ready to pray tonight and come to the table, the prayer for all of us is to say, Jesus, give us eyes to see. Sometimes it's the stunning, dazzling angel thing that makes us remember. Sometimes it's after the fact after the meal is over, after the conversation is over, and we look back and we say, whoa, 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 hey, did not our hearts burn within us? Or like Jacob in our Old Testament reading tonight, surely God was in this place and I did not know it? What? How does that happen? I mean, that's more absurd than me saying the Empire State Building is in this room and you just don't know it. <laughs> like, crazy man. Sometimes we don't know it. Sometimes you look back at a season in your life and you say, God, how did we make it through that? We were struggling. We didn't have a job. Our kids were sick. We were going through this thing in the hospital or the loss or the this. The, and you look back and say, how did we make it through that? How are we here? 
And it may not have been in that moment because that moment's so full of emotion and grief and sadness and all this stuff. And then you look back and you say, Jesus, did not our hearts burn within us? Wasn't he there blessing our bread, giving it to us? Wasn't he there present with us? Let's pray. Jesus, would you give us eyes and ears to, to hear and to see? Sometimes we're moving so quickly. Sometimes we are too heavy with disappointment. Forgive us. Forgive us for that. Give us eyes and ears to see. Tonight as we come to the table of the Lord, would you just take a minute here or so and just in this quietness, in this silence, to just quietly confess to the Lord. Maybe it's, Lord, forgive me for not believing that you really really do sometimes intervene in stunning ways. Forgive me for letting doubt and disappointment cloud. Maybe it's to say, forgive me for just kind of walking along the road, imagining that I'm the one in charge of this story. Well, maybe it's just, God, help. Take a moment and just quietly where you are, confess that, pray that.